to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. On this episode, I biked over to Stacy Pearl's house to record this wonderful conversation. Stacy is a co-artistic director of Pearl Art Studios and Stacy Pearl Dance Project, where she creates dance-centered multimedia works with her husband and creative partner, Herman Pearl. Since then, the studio has produced several works, including Octavia, Abby in the Red, and Flowers. Stacy is also passionate about sharing resources and creating opportunities by initiating arts community programs, such as the Pearl Diving Movement Residency and In the Studio series. Over the course of an hour, we exchange ideas about collaboration, body image and dance, preventing boredom and one's creativity, and finding happiness. There was a dog barking periodically next door, so I apologize for the random dog sounds. Also, next week on April 12th to 13th, Stacy will be presenting Sim, an evening-length dance work in Pittsburgh at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater. Sim is a deeply atmospheric dance and sound experience inspired by Fledgling, a novel by African-American sci-fi writer Octavia Butler. The work explores Butler's mysterious universe of vampires and humans to examine symbiosis, gender identity, and race as it relates to contemporary culture. Stacy is also hosting Pearl Presents, a six-day lineup of performances and movement classes with dance artists from Pittsburgh and New York City. If you are in Pittsburgh, please go and show your support. I've added links to the show notes for more information. In any case, I hope you enjoy this. You know, most people don't think about sound. Yeah. It's just true. Yeah. I mean, everything's so, important. I think... I did too. I think I was looking at your stuff, mm-hmm. and I think the first thing that came to mind was just how much attention you paid to all the individual parts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if... One of the first things I learned about you was you were a choreographer, mm-hmm. but the way that it was being described, you are more like a director in the sense that you were picking... You not only choreographed, but you were picking, you know, who was in charge of lighting, who was in charge of the costume and the set design. Um, Definitely. And yeah, and so it, it was not just you as a choreogra- right. choreographer, but as a, seemed more like a director. Yeah, because I, I am a director as well. Mm-hmm. Like Herman and I co-artistic direct, so. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that chooses, mo- like he's such a, his brain works like on sound. Yeah, he, and he's conceptual too. He can yeah. be conceptual, but mostly about the sound. Yeah, and and so, but I'm a little bit more varied in my skill set. So, and I have, I guess, I've been the one that usually sets the tone for the concept and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, and Herman gets to do this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we need so both, right? We do need both. So, uh, especially he's so good, especially in a collaborative process, right? right. But sure. yeah. So I guess the first thing I start off with was how you got into dance, um, mm-hmm. your background, some easy questions. Sure. If you, maybe they're not easy. I don't know. No, I mean, it, you know what's funny? What? Is that the older you get, the more you forget. <laughs> it's like, it's so it's just crazy how like, you know, you run into, I'll run into a friend, an old friend, and they'll like, they'll say something to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. And I'm, but anyway, um, I started dancing when I was about 17 and I was very much into gymnastics. I loved it. And, but I wasn't really like in a place like we weren't very, we didn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't take lessons unless it was offered in school during school hours. So there was, there was like for a couple of years, uh, um, what do you call it? Like a module in school during phys ed that was gymnastics. That's pretty specific. Yeah, and then we and then they did and then there was one that was dance, mm. and that's when I learned that I could like what I was when I was wiggling around in my apartment with my mom. Where was this? This is in Amherst, Massachusetts. 
Oh, by Amherst College. Yeah, mm-hmm. not far from our Amherst College, but we were at UMass. Okay. My mother was getting her PhD at UMass. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize that, that there was like a, that what I was doing wasn't just like an extension of, of gymnastics. Mm. I thought I was just like doing floor exercise without the tumbling yeah, in yeah. our living room. Wow, yeah. And then I found that there's like contemporary or modern dance. So I started taking classes after after that phys ed class ended. I, the woman that was there invited me to take class in her studio. So I did that. And that's, that's when I started. But then just, that was when I was 17. So the next year I went off to college. And by then it was like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to dance. But I had to go to college. Yeah. And uh, I went to UArts, which was, what was it? Philadelphia College of Performing Arts back then. Mm. And it was broken up from the visual arts school. Mm. So now it's all put together like, right, right. after 20 years or so. How was that? That was, um, that was like going to fame. Like I was just going to fame. I was just like loving every minute of it. It was hard because I also had to work a couple jobs and, and I was so new to dance. I didn't really, like I didn't have the beginning that most people there had. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of thrown in. Mm-hmm. I also didn't know that I had like certain health issues that made my, legs cramp up and I was like, mm. you know, chronically dehydrated, didn't, it was just young and dumb, just didn't know what was going on. I was like pushing myself and pushing myself yeah. and I just loved it. The energy of youth. Yeah, exactly. So, and then I went, left there and went to the Ailey, the, well, no, Dance Theater of Harlem. And then I went to the Alvin Ailey American Dance Center. Those and, are both grad schools? No, they're actually conservatories. Okay. So they, and they each have like world renowned companies attached mm-hmm. to them. They're African American companies, each led by an African American male, like that were both of whom were super famous in the 50s and 60s. So there's walk, Arthur Mitchell. the Alvin Ailey one. And yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. like Midtown, I think. Uh, yeah. Sort of. It's kind of up from Midtown. Like I think it's now in the 50s or 60s. Yeah. Gla- but all beautiful glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, windows surrounding it yeah so when i went there it was down at, at the minskoff theater okay which is on right on times square oh okay and it was like you know just a couple studios that were in that theater yeah and then the year my last year there they had moved to just behind lincoln center and so that that building that they're in now is relatively like they, they've probably been there what 15 maybe 15 almost 20 years now mm-hmm. that's how long it's been that's how old i am <laughs> So before that, I went to Dance Theater Harlem, which is which is up in Harlem, uh-huh. and I didn't stay there very long. I didn't I didn't like it. I just felt like I wanted to be more versatile at the time, not knowing enough. Like really, honestly, it was the it was a good training to be do whatever I wanted because it's uh-huh. ballet training. But I just felt like if I got an ALA, then I'll, I'll get all the ballet training, and I'll get to do all these other styles and techniques. Whereas you and have, I was right, but whereas the one in Harlem that was all ballet, yes, okay. just about, not just a ballet company. It's like the one African American ballet company. I'm sure there are others now, but it was like the only we, one. Yeah, exactly. For yeah. a very very long time. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, that's so after so after leaving, um, I left New York twice. I left once because I got sick, mm-hmm. and I had to like go home and deal with uh, kidney disease. And then I went back after about a year, and I, that's when I actually finished at ALA. And the crazy thing is that I didn't know I had kidney disease until I was there and just, like, you know, hustling around. And and I was at a decent weight, but they, like, when you'd be super skinny, of course, especially then. And I guess I was – I don't know if it was the stress of it all or just, like, not being as good – with my body as I needed to be or all of the above. Right. But I started gaining weight and, and then I could not lose it and I could not. And, it, and I starved myself, like didn't have any money, knew that I had to be skinny, smoked cigarettes for lunch. Like it was yeah. disgusting. Yikes. Like, and one day I went to school and my ankles were like as big as elephant feet. And I gained another two pounds and she was like, what is going on with you? Like, why are you, you know, I wasn't even that heavy then. Like I was, I was still a normal sized person then, but I had gained from my like dance weight. And she was just like, 
you know, what's going on with you? And I said, okay, just look at my ankles. I don't know. And she, she bolted me out. She's like, go home, go to the doctor. And from then on, it was just like, they were, they had a totally, like they have a, they can kind of ostracize you when you don't, I don't think it's the same anymore. I think they had to stop weighing young people. They were weighing was, you to make sure that you're a certain weight? Every other week. Wow. You had to weigh in. And so I don't think they do that now, but then it was just like, it was humiliating and, you know, just like really crazy. This is the result of the kidney disease? Mm-hmm. Mm. The reason why I was, I was just holding water, mm. like especially in my lower half of my body because mm. I was just like, you know, and I, and I had no energy and I couldn't move and I couldn't understand why I couldn't move. And sometimes it was taken as like, you're not doing your best. And I'm just like, right. you're so talking to the wrong person. Like, right. I don't know what's going on with me. But I do nothing but my best at all times. Like, this is like my dream and I'm trying to live it. So I go home and I uh, deal with doctors and was super disappointed about, by them, especially after they told me not to dance ever again. I was wow. like, dance is my life. You can't, you yeah. can't tell me not to dance again. And I ended up coming back to New York and I ended up meeting this homeopath. Mm-hmm. And he helped me change my diet changed my whole lifestyle, like really, I really started getting the rest and stopped stressing as much and started paying more attention to what my, sig- you know, my body signals and mm-hmm. doing all kinds of fasting and all this stuff, acupuncture. And I ended up getting much better. All the water weight went away. I continued dancing outside of ALE school and uh, you know, danced with a couple of different companies in New York. And then I left, I was like, then I, I just felt like I had to get out of the city. And once I started healing myself, I felt like the city was, was toxic. Right, right. The stress. The stress of it. The people the, there. The people were like, it like had this kind of hustle and bustle that I just didn't appreciate anymore. Mm-hmm. And I managed to like not subscribe to it while it still was like better to get out. So yeah, I left yeah. and I went to Atlanta. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I danced with a couple of really fun companies there and I taught for the ballet down there I started making my own work down there started hanging out with other artists started doing other kinds of art yeah um, I got married got divorced <laughs> and uh and after right after I got divorced well where right I got separated I came, went back to New York and mostly did what I was doing in Atlanta with some of the same people even just like doing solo work and working with other artists and taking classes still and just and living a totally different life in New York than I lived when I was there before. Mm, how'd you do that? I think it was just paying attention to my own, uh, like instead of being there as a student mm-hmm. and hustling and working like a hundred jobs while taking classes, while taking classes and yeah, auditioning yeah. for every little thing that came by. Yeah. I was more focused. Mm. Like I was really focused on making my own work. Right. Dancing in my solo. I, there's a choreographer, What's her name? I can't remember her name right now. But I, I was like kind of inspired by this one particular choreographer was, who had decided to do only solo work for a certain amount of time. Mm. So I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to be sure to like collaborate with some of my favorite artists, friends. Mm. So by solo work, you were both choreo- doing choreography and dancing your own choreography. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then I'd often like improvise for poets and musicians. Okay. Um, and then sometimes we'd set things, but whenever we, you know, we perform at places like a couple of gigs at CBGBs and uh, what's it? The Onion, mm-hmm. all these other places that were like downtown Manhattan and, and, and Brooklyn. Yeah. I would definitely like, they would give me this much space. Right. Right. On the stage next to them to improvise. Right. To right. The physicality of their expressions. Yeah. I, this might be a ignorant question. The only dance that I know that intersects with art is Merce Cunningham. I didn't know if mm, there was any intersection. It's a lot, yeah. With uh, while you were there with that group, or they were doing something. No, different. I didn't do anything with Merce Cunningham. I had friends who danced for Merce Cunningham. A couple of really good friends at different times, like different generations, actually. Right. But I didn't. I, I mean, I liked his work, but not enough to like study under him. Mm. And, you know, and and want and to want to be in his company. Right, right, right. That wasn't really like my thing. 
And I was really just trying to figure out what my thing was when I, at that point. Yeah. So we're, we're constantly trying to. I know. It's still to this day. Yeah. 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 It's my thing. What is it today? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So yeah, that was really cool. That was like maybe a good, somewhere between two and four years. Uh-huh. Timelines just blur. Yeah. The older you get. Trust yeah. me. Like it doesn't, then you find that none of it actually matters. I sometimes forget how old I am. Oh, I did already? Yeah. Oh my God. Because I, I, I know, like, I think I was recently asked, and so I know it's like 32, but sometimes uh-huh. I'm like, maybe I'm 31. Like, I, like, I'm not asked, you know, like, you're not right. asked enough, so you're just like, oh, okay. Oh, uh, like, yeah, whatever. Because like, you're old soul. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I always forget how old I am. Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, what, what was I? That's... And then, so then from New York, did you then transition to Pittsburgh or? Yeah, I did. So I had done some traveling while doing some of my solo stuff. And after one big trip, I came back and I just was so not feeling good. Mm. Mind you, all this time mm-hmm. from when I was first diagnosed and said, no way, I'm still dancing. And I met the home, the holistic practitioner. Right. I was not going to anybody's doctors or hospital, none of that. I was mm. just like living my life and, you know, working on healing on my own and, mm-hmm. And, you know, going to whatever homeopath or, you know, natural practitioner mm-hmm. when I felt like it was necessary. But by the time I came back from this one big trip, I was, my kidneys had failed. Mm-hmm. And so I had gone to the doctor to, because I knew it was like, my, my father was like, you got go to go to the doctor. It was right after my mother passed away too. So all this was like happening at once. Mm-hmm. So I went to Presby and I was just, I was super scared and I was decided to write a friend of mine who was in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. She was, and I had forgotten, like, I don't, oh yeah, you're, you're in med school, whatever. Like when you're, we're in Atlanta, she's yeah. in med school. Yeah, yeah. But we don't talk about that the whole, you know, whenever we hang out, we're just right. talking about whatever. Right. And so I'm like, oh yeah, you're, you're like doing your residencies now. Um, I know that you're doing this whole medical thing. I always forget, but yeah, this yeah. is what's happening with me. Yeah. So she freaks out and she's like, you need to get out of there. You can't be in New York by yourself. Um, come to Pittsburgh. Which is where she's doing her residency. Right. She was at AGH. She's okay. like, they do, they deal with this kind of stuff all the time because mm-hmm. Thomas Starzl, who invented the kidney transplant thing. Came um, from here. He's from here. And yeah. He did all that at UPMC. So that's how I ended up here in Pittsburgh. I had no intention of ever, like I had no reason to ever be in Pittsburgh otherwise. Yeah. And I never thought that I would stay yeah. in Pittsburgh. And that was back in 2001. So I'm still here. <laughs> 17 years. Yep. Yeah. So I was on dialysis for maybe nine months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was very fortunate that way. You know, but I was also super healthy about the whole thing. Like, yeah. Once I realized that my kidneys had failed, I just, I, try, I really was trying to heal myself before I had to get a kidney transplant. Right, right. Eating differently and I fasted constantly and yeah, I just did everything I could to not have to have this stupid transplant. Yeah. Um, it's not stupid, <laughs> but alas, I ended up having it and that was, yeah, I'm, it's been fine. I, I'm back on a list. So they call it in a, what do they call it? So I'm on the list for another one because it's been so long and it's, it's kind of, they wear out. Okay especially cadaver mm-hmm. transplants. Um, but I'm inactive on the list, which means that I'm still matriculating through, but my, it's still working well enough not to actually need one. Right. At least the last time I was at the doctor. Right. So we'll see. We're, we're yeah. So hopefully what, what that means is I won't have to go. The plan is that I n- never have to go on dialysis again. Yeah. And by the time it might, you know, not be working again, I'll be at the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plan. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. I know. Let's see. So then from there, um, when did you then end up starting Pearl Arts? So I, before I had Pearl Arts, I w- had been working with Expressions Contemporary Dance Company. Okay. Which is, and this is probably this is something easy not to know. It's a, it was a contemporary dance company that focused on black dance. And okay. black dance is a very specific type of, of dance mm-hmm. it's it's like Af- it is african-american dance and it's driven by like certain like alvin ailey mm-hmm. 
and and other people that you know i guess i want to say founded but like developed the style like and it developed over a long period of time and mm-hmm. basically starting s- when mm, that's a good question i guess in the early 50s okay you start to see like some trends happening mm-hmm. usually around that like black theater and also you know when people were starting to travel and do research on the continent and in diaspora Catherine dunham was someone who did a lot of work in the caribbean a lot of research so all these things and then who else i can i'm so bad with names no i'm i'm, I'm just i'm just curious but there, I'm, not I, try, I'm not trying to test you <laughs> don't feel like i'm testing you i feel like it's someone who is a i should know all this i do know all this stuff i just can't pull all this stuff out of my head right now but anyway no worries um so yeah, I'd say about the early '50s is when it really started to become something that you see as a as a style yeah. type of dance. Yeah. Um, so that's what expressions why it was also a rep company, which means that sure I I choreographed some things for them, but we always brought in other artists mm-hmm. to put set works on the company, and that was a lot of fun. And I got to work with a lot of really amazing artists, some who have been around a while, and some who like who were right before they became super famous or established. And this is a nationwide thing, Expressions, or just Pittsburgh specific? Or New it was York? it's a it was a local regional company. Okay. Yeah. And so that I did that for about six years, and then I left the company. And I think after I left, it just folded. Like I didn't want that to happen, but that's I'm pretty sure what that that's what happened. <laughs> and so you I, were the glue. I guess. I didn't think I was until it closed. Yeah. And then after that, I went back to school at Pitt for Africana Studies and Studio Art. Studio Art. Mm-hmm. And that was like the best thing I could have done for myself. Yeah. It was so much fun. What was that like? That was, well, it was crazy because I was, I just turned 40 when I went back and I'm in school with 17 to 21 year olds. And this is undergrad, not masters. This is my undergrad. Okay. I'm finishing. I had started it at UArts, but I never finished. Mm, mm. And I was thought about going back to like Point Park or something just yeah. to finish my dance degree. Yeah. It's like I don't want to do that. Like I'm doing this. Or, you You're know, I doing just want to do something else. Yeah. And I was also making art, but it was my father, who was a, a professor of art, always yelled at me for not what? studying. Like making art and not studying because he's, he was an academic, you know, mm. but he was a visual art academic. So he yeah, yeah. was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, so I, I went back and it yeah. was great and I made some really good friends, you know, and, uh, and then while I was doing that, I worked on some projects that were like multimedia and movement based, mm. you know, works. And then I was there, what, maybe two and a half years to finish up. And that's when I started Stacy Perlance Project. Right when you graduated. Mm-hmm. Wow. The year I graduated, that, that fall. So I, wait, no. Yeah, the, that fall because we didn't premiere until 2010. Mm. And I left Pitt at two, in 2009. Right. Um, it must have been strange going to school with 17, 18-year-olds. It, it was way stranger than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can sort of get that because, you know, when I was, I did like a year of teaching adjuncts for the freshman mm-hmm. class and- it's weird, right? It's weird. It gets yeah. weirder the older you get. Yeah. I don't think I can do it now. That was what. <laughs> but that was me as a teacher. I, I can't even imagine like being, you know, their peers. Right. right. You know. Well, the cool thing that happened was like, you know, because I had so much more experience than them. And my professors, who are now all my friends, like really good friends. Yeah. It was kind of like, it was kind of like not really co-teaching, but I was more of an observer in a lot of ways. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I can always like I would jump in every once in a while. And they didn't know how old I was. I just didn't look that old then. And uh, that's when I would date myself. Because they look at me like, what the hell is she talking about? Like, it was pretty good. I feel like the teachers loved you because because you're like almost like a role model, right? You're, you're, right. you're like, you're like how a student should act at that age because of the oh, maturity. Totally. Right. And so like, if, a- you know, so all the other students can co- totally see like, Oh, like this, this woman has it together. Or like, if, if, you know, even if you don't feel like it, at least your thoughts and the way that you carry yourself within 
just interpersonal relationships, discussions exactly. is different. Very. You know? Oh my God. And I was such a geek. Like, I just loved being in school. I, I love being in school. I, I go back. I would go back to school now. Yeah. I have considered getting my Get graduate degree. Yeah. But I would um, like sit in the lecture hall. Yeah. You know, now everyone has computers. When I was my first time around, there was there were no com- computers, right? Yeah. And I could see everyone's computer. And I'm like, you know, what's his name? Frank Toker? Is that his name? I don't know if his name is Frank, but I know his last name is Tok- Toker. Who is he? He is... Um, he is in the architecture and art history, and he also he teaches. Um, it was a, it was like one of the art history classes that I took. Okay, but it was all it was also architecture. Uh huh. And he's like a, a specialist on Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay, he's in a lot of Italian architecture research. He's really super famous and really good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And it was such an honor to be in his class. And he's just a funny guy. He's totally old school professor type, you know. Yeah. Hey, few of you want to come to my place and uh, yeah, yeah have, have, have a, a drink, have a drink, yeah, and talk yeah. about this stuff. Yeah. And these kids are like, you know, they're millennials or they're younger even. And yeah. They're like, what is he talking about? Yeah. But on all their computers, there's like Facebook and emails. Yeah. No one's paying attention to this man. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Like, he's talking. And one time he actually like the, some people were talking while he was talking. He just like shut him down. He's like, what the hell is wrong with him? Yeah. He's like, I'm talking. <laughs> Me. So. I think during that time, people quite, universities and teachers didn't quite know what to do. Yeah, they didn't. Because now it's like very clearly stated in all the syllabi. Oh, really? At least, at least when I went back to grad school and then I was taught how to write a syllabus mm-hmm. it was like you need to be very specific about how to use computers and wow that's good yeah and I think they you know they even like cited like studies that you actually take notes and learn better when you handwrite it than you're typing it's true right? I mean, and so like they yeah. did everything that they could possibly like tell the student just basically don't be on the computer no, right because they're not paying attention yeah, yeah at all yeah Compu- like I'd sit in the back usually computer after computer yeah yeah Blue and white all over it. Yeah. You guys are dummies. Yeah. You're missing the whole thing. Yeah. So um, moving on from mm-hmm. that background, I'm curious, what are some of your influences for your work? Mm. Um, just I was just quickly going through your website and a few of the things I saw, like you talk, you have a play called Octavia, mm-hmm. referencing Octavia Butler. One of your pieces on being had uh, one of my favorites, mm-hmm. YouTuber Hennessy Youngman. Yes. Just in the background when I thought, that juxtaposition of him talking about, I forgot what was the topic of that particular video that he labeled, but it was talking about, it seemed like being a black artist mm-hmm. within the exactly uh, specifically white framework mm-hmm. or the white the white framework of all arts, basically. And it's, it's like, it's called How to Be a Successful Black Artist. Yeah, yeah. And he references like all the still most popular black artists. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he, he was... He just kind of like fell in our laps right around the time we were doing this work about blackness in art. Yeah. Because I'd had my, like, especially being here in Pittsburgh, I was just like, what is she doing? Like, is it... Like people are talking about you. Because it wasn't... Because what we do is not necessarily black dance, mm-hmm. but it is because I'm black. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But it's yeah, not yeah. like in the tradition of... It's not traditional black dance. Right. Sometimes it is, but it's all comes from in there. Right. You can't, you can't separate it. Can't, right. Un, kind of like. But I'm a, it's, I'm a traditional black dancer. Like that's, right. that was my upbringing. Right. right. Like a so white it's person. it's all there. White person can paint a flower and nothing happens. But if you're a woman, it means something. If you're black or a person of color, exactly. it means something. You can't separate it. But also, yeah, it's exactly it. But it's expected of you to do it a certain way. Yeah. If you want to be called a black blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And. And I guess, like, even though my my work is not that out there, it's not like, you know, that's subversive or anything like that. I've I've done some work that's that's kind of on the on the fringe or on the edge, but you know, at this point, it's not at all. Like, I I know what that looks like, and yet, in the beginning of my time here, it was just like, I don't know, people were just weren't they didn't get it. And I'm like, okay, just sit back and relax. Like, you don't have to get anything. Like, <laughs> Just just take it in. And it yeah. wasn't everyone. It was like I, there were, you know, it was, it just felt like there was just a, a specific point in time here, like towards the end of my time at Expressions and 
going into school and doing other work that I was that was kind of like the response that I would get from like people mm. sitting on panels and mm. you know stuff like that. Yeah. And that's fine, whatever. Like so was that Pittsburgh specific you think? Like if you did that same mm. thing in New York, would would you think it would be a similar Mm-mm. I know not in New York it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um maybe in other places it might be. But definitely not in New York. So was I telling you why that where on being came from? Is that what I'm saying? Are you talking about influences or? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So sometimes it's, you know, current events. Oftentimes it is. We are, and even if it's not, we re- we often respond to, you know, what's happening in the world right now. Yeah. So even if we're dealing with something that comes from, um, I'm also um, just a general ma- magical realism fan, fanatic. Mm-hmm. I'm not fanatic. I'm just a fan, I guess, yeah. at this point. Um. So a lot of the first things we made were kind of coming out of that space. Mm. So literature, literary artists, sometimes um, visual artists. Um, I'm going to say her name wrong. Mutu is her last name. Wangechi Mutu. Oh, Wangechi Mutu, yeah. She had me turned out for a long time, and everything I did was like kind of referencing her, like the way she uses color, the way yeah. she uses, yeah, like she uses collage with other medium and uh-huh. and and then the the magicalness of her work like yeah. how she used she created all these different kind of creatures yeah yeah so that kind of attached to like the the magical realism right. literature that i was into at the time she gave a talk here about two years ago i know i think i missed it yeah. i didn't miss it I, I remember her being here though you didn't miss too much no it wasn't, what? It wasn't that good really i yeah i didn't think so but that, I'm so glad I didn't see it then. Yeah. That would have been really disappointing. It was just, I mean, it was a weird format. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she didn't want to give her own talk. She wanted the School of Art to fly in a curator that could she could be in conversation with. Wow. And so the entire talk, this curator was basically a fangirl asking her all these easy questions. Oh, and she would just, You know, she would just like answer them and... They were, right. they were on friendly terms, but there wasn't anything interesting that I oh, that sucks. gleaned from it. And she spent a lot of time showing videos that she doesn't normally show because she's she's more known for her um, her paintings and right. sculptures. So, and then she would play like these fifteen minute performance videos, and and you know, it'd be like, okay, that's cool. No one's seen it, but right. uh, I don't know if that's your strongest thing. And oh, that's crazy. And. She didn't, it didn't seem too much came from the, showing those videos either, right? Like right. If, if there were things that she wanted to promote to also then talk about things that she might not have been able to talk about, that'd be yeah. great. But Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad I didn't see that. Um, so what else? You know, a lot of times lately we've been doing a lot of work that kind of mirrors our own lives, you know, yeah. like kind of pulling from our own history. Yeah. For instance, like flowers pulling from our history with house music and culture and, and what it meant specifically for me as a dancer to like get to go out after dancing all day yeah and dance all night yeah. and into the morning yeah and then uh what else? I mean, herman and i had this um mutual like admiration for abby lincoln so that became one of our topics right i was just about to ask you about that and but we were really specifically trying to like i think we i think i feel like we could take a whole nother pass at it honestly because some of the technicality of it got kind of pushed forward, but relating it to like her time and when she was dealing with like the activism of, of the sixties, fifties, late fifties, sixties and seventies and what was going on in the world then versus what was going, what's going on now yeah, and how some of the same struggles are still in front of us. And could you just quickly talk, just for the listeners, a uh-huh. quick background about Abby Lincoln. Sure. So Abby Lincoln, she was musician, vocalist, with an amazing and like really raw kind of unique voice. And she sang a lot of jazz standards, but she also partnered with her husband, her one of her, I guess, it, I don't know if she had more than one husband, but her first husband, who's Max Roach, mm-hmm. I think is her first husband. Anyway, they did a lot of work early on in her career. Yeah. And, um, one of the albums that came out of it was In the Red. And there are two albums that we pulled from for the work that we did. But in that work, there are these really strong, powerful songs that 
had that are very percussive and demonstrate like some of the the tension and the energy of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's one that she just starts wailing. It's just like I'm not even going to try to imitate it, but it's super intense. And so we decided to use some of that work. And from Herman's perspective, he wanted to use the influence of say like not necessarily hip hop, but like current jazz and, mm-hmm. and and electronic music to like update some of the sounds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was thinking, okay, so what represents like what the, well, the, actually the, the resistance to the, the system, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So here's this jazz music and this alternative jazz music that they're creating. That's really powerful and, and really, you know, speaking out against all these injustice and, I feel like what what gives us her power now is like Afro punk scene and hip hop, Afro futurism, Afro futurism, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So we were using all that as like inspiration and fodder for the performance that we would put on, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to like you know show those juxtaposition. Well, it's not really juxtaposition, really. It's like there's a lot of similarity there, but what was happening yeah. then and what's happening now. Unfortunately, and fortunately, because we got to know our power through these things. But, mm-hmm. you know, here we are still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And my parents are rolling around in their graves because they were freedom fighters mm. in the 60s. And they would not believe, I think, that we're still dealing with all this craziness now. Yeah. So I think stylistically we were we were successful with it. You know what I mean? Like we managed to. We didn't want to make it just an update, but we just wanted to like demonstrate how relevant what was happening then is and to now. So was it, were all the songs a rearrangement of the original album? Was that basically? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, Freedom Day, which was like the second number in the piece, it, we, it got sped up a little bit, mm-hmm. a lot actually. And it, and Herman inserted a house beat and mood to it mm. so it's just all of the songs are pretty different sounding except for the right. vocal. The, well the vocals are different because we had Anquanique sing yeah. them I thought she, that was powerful when you <laughs> first see her and then she's got that big yeah. hair and she's just dead right center and starts singing mm-hmm. thank you yeah, yeah. I thought she's that was amazing. really powerful I mean she's so she was just inspiring to work with like and you know so she had to also think about all these things right right and do her own homework listening to the music and then figuring out what it meant for her to like demonstrate these, you know, similarities. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. When they were able to get to do it again, I'm hoping. Yeah. I would like to see it. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll let wh- you know. What's up? <laughs> so we'll definitely let you know. Yeah. Let me know. Um, and so for a piece like that, how does collaboration work? So, cause I know like for that piece, mm-hmm. you know, you got Anconique also thinking about how to perform it. You got Herman rearranging it. You're mm-hmm. doing the choreography. You got that lighting was also really great. Yeah, Scott uh, Nelson. Yeah, you got Terrane designing the mm-hmm. costumes. Yeah, so how do you, yeah, I'm just curious, how does that collaboration sort of work at that scale? I'm also curious because I don't think I've ever collaborated at that scale either. So, yeah, you think, do mostly solo stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. You usually, I mean, Recently, it's sort of changed. Most of the time, it's me setting a camera down, <laughs> running in front of the camera, Aww. doing something, running back, making sure I'm in the frame. Right, right, right. Uh, if I'm lucky, I'll get someone to like actually do the camera. Actually, work. actually do the camera work. But wow. it'll be un- you know it won't be. Oftentimes, they're not um, they're not like trained to do it. So oh, okay. So and I'm not sure if they have my aesthetic, but mm-hmm. I for me at least I enjoy. This past year and a half, I've been enjoying putting myself in creative, um, not ruts, but being forced down a creative path because mm-hmm. of someone else's decision that I've allowed them to oh, make, wow. right? So like yeah. if I give someone the camera to film me, I'm sort of forced down a certain path of based on how they decided to film me. Gotcha. Right? I totally get that. Like I'll tell them I kind of want this sort of background and I want to be sort of in this area with this sort of zoom, but right, right. there's so much leeway in terms of what yeah. that means. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I totally do. But I feel like when it comes to dance, 
you have to be even more forgiving of that leeway. Like there's more of that leeway mm. um, because it's, well, at least with the, oftentimes with the dancers, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Because they each have their own personalities, you know, forget about the even aesthetic. Like it still has to come across as our aesthetic, but we have to like allow people to be who they are right. on stage yeah. and in the studio. Um, and, and oftentimes that's like, that's not a bad thing at all. That's like a good thing because, you know, it's just the more perspectives you have on something, the more you're apt to reach with your audience. Does that make sense? Ideally. Yeah. Yeah. But it does like, you know, you're not just sitting down with a pencil and a piece of paper. You have so many variables. Right. Insane. Yeah. And then, and that's just with the dancers. And then you have musicians. So, you know, Herman, you know, I think we both are good at being super flexible. Yeah. And ha- and knowing what we want to see as an overall umbrella picture and, and knowing what the aesthetic needs to be. And I've gotten better at like, you know, achieving that no matter what. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's so many variables. Like, yeah. And you have to look f- and you have to be able to look at and hear and see what like people are bringing to the table and then help them give you more of what you, it is that you see that fits. Right, right. And less of what you see that doesn't fit. Yeah. And you're dealing with egos and, you know, all kinds of all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes yeah, it's it's something completely else. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in all the best ways and sometimes in all the crazy ways. It's almost an exercise in just the fact that it's being made as an accomplishment, right? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. But then you can't you can't settle for that. No, no. Not even a little bit, you no. know, like what, then what's the point? What story are you telling then? And I, and I've seen, I've been a part of projects and seen projects where people are like, whew, we got through that. I'm like, yeah, but that's not enough. Like, yeah. Like, so what? You got through that and you're patting yourself on the back. Ugh. I don't know. That, yes. I'm judging those people. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it, you know, cause it is just that, but. Yeah, we have to we have to want more for you know, for ourselves in honoring ourselves and our visions. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think as soon as you think you figured it out then mm-hmm. it kind of gets boring. Exactly. You know, for both you and the audience. Right. Right? Cuz the, the audience knows. Oh my god. And you if you if you trick yourself into thinking that you don't, but you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell. Totally. Never underestimate underestimate your audience, and don't get bored because that's just suicide. <laughs> it is, and it just me. And, and so you and you you're going to get bored at some point. You know what I mean? So just turn around and find something else to do with yourself. You know, mm-hmm. as a human and as an artist or a creative being, that's what we do. So I mean, I think we're luck, but we're lucky in the sense that our hopefully our I f- the thing that we do is one that's seeking a certain level of emotional satisfaction. I mean, unfortunately, some people, I think, take their creativity for granted. Yeah. And they still can treat, like, their creative practice as if it doesn't matter, I guess you can say. Yeah. Kind of like they're in a job, like, yeah. at Starbucks or wherever. Yeah. And, and I think that's pretty unfortunate. But it's kind of like how we're brought up, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. be good workers and just and just do that. Right, and right. So, and then there are other people who take that, like, passion for creativity into everything they do. Yeah. Even working at Starbucks. Yeah. So, it's really interesting because, it, and it's, it's, I guess this is getting a little bit off, but, like, it's, I think it's also about how you find your happiness as, mm-hmm. a, as a human. Yeah, know? absolutely. Like, and it, and it's also realizing that you don't have to find it like it's everywhere and anywhere. Right. Like you could be working at Starbucks and be perfectly happy. Yeah. There's so many good things about working at Starbucks. Oh yeah. I mean, they've got good health care. Oh my god, totally. Uh, good benefits. You gonna take your your work home with you if they'll, you don't want they'll to. They'll pay for you to go to college. Really, really. Yeah. They, a specific. Um, they have a deal with Arizona State, and so if you want to get a degree, they'll. Wow. I don't know the exact terms of it, but they'll help you get your pay for and help you get a degree at Arizona State. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, you just, they'll ask you, do you want, are you interested? And I, so, yeah. That's cool. Huh. Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> Look, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, know, I was about to say the same thing about happiness because mm -hmm. I, I think someone once told me that everyone has a different level of what they're comfortable with in terms of risk making. Yes. Right? You know, and I think at, at either end of the extremes, on one extreme, you know, you've got pure chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a complete freedom of and complete risk taking. Right. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got someone who, you know, is stuck or in a jail where there's no freedom. Yeah. Right. And then most people hopefully are in somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest part is figuring out where you personally are. Right. Right. And if you can somehow match that level of risk taking uh, with the comfort level that you are, mm -hmm. um, that's where it's most ideal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And just realizing that like your levels your your range of of risk taking is going to be completely different than everybody else's right you know sometimes people get really caught up of, with like measuring themselves against other people right 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 you know and what they what they think they should be doing and should be comfortable doing yeah if you're not you're not you yeah. know and how fulfilling is it when you realize what you know when when you know where you are and you can like challenge yourself to to push beyond those boundaries right right and then do that and then feel good about that mm -hmm. not worry about what everyone else is doing that's a big deal these days mm -hmm. when you can see well well we when you can see what everyone else is doing or what they're saying they're doing anyway right you know yeah it's intense it, it gets it gets hard though when you're in school and you've got professors who have a cushy job oh my god you know but then are saying that they know the answers to art they are saying that they know the answers. I think a lot of them feel that way, you know. I don't know. Maybe maybe you had a great, you get great teachers, thinking. but I think I mean it's built in, right? Because you're getting a grade, right? Right, and so that's assuming that the teacher somehow knows knows more than yeah, or what's good. And I know, and as probably you know, like you've probably know tons of dancer dancers who broke every single rule, who mm -hmm. did poorly at school. I know artists who like dropped out of school. And it's and then it's also like if these teachers really did know, mm -hmm. they'd be rich and famous. Exactly. You know, but right. they're teaching at a university, and exactly. so it's, it's always, always it's always I think a strange dynamic to study art in school with a value system. Yeah. You know. Oh, I agree. I agree, and it's even I think it's even harder for movement artists. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that's start starting to change. I haven't like, you know, I went went to conservatory, and it was like you know, you're, you're getting graded or you're getting judged uh -huh. based on, and it, and some things are really clear cut, like the technical aspects. Like if you can't do a triple pirouette, then you can't do a triple pirouette mm -hmm. and your feet don't, but it's also subjective. Like you're not just judging somebody's ability in their, in their art, artistry. You're, you're, you're judging the person. Right. Like, and I guess that's true in, in visual art as well. I think it's more true Almost. in acting. Definitely. Like I, I'm, I'm, when I was in LA, I met a bunch of actors, and I, the first thing I remember I was like, "I'm so glad that no one's judging my face." Right. Right. Like, because all the actors had to get headshots, and like you're just there. Right. You know, and like as you know, people are just being judged for. I mean, there's a problem in Hollywood, but like mm -hmm. we need an Asian person, we need a woman, yeah, we need exactly. a black person, and like, and then like, are you pretty? Are you handsome? Exactly. You know, and like. I was like, I'm so relieved I don't have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens on another level, right? When you're in dance, I think is even worse because you know, depending on what kind of company that you're interested in going to, or what style that you're, you're, you know, is your forte. Mm -hmm. But like, are you like it's your feet, it's your butt, it's your yeah, <laughs> you know, literally your teeth. It's your, it's like you know, there's this one beautiful dancer that was at Dance Theater of Harlem when I was at Ailey. And we used to just hang out, I guess, every once in a while. I don't, I don't know how we first met, but she was a gorgeous dancer, mm -hmm. and she had, a, she, but she didn't have a, she didn't have the look for dance theater of Harlem, hmm. which is typically fair skin, black, longer oh. hair, hmm. and you know, very slim, but not necessarily muscular. And this woman was amazing and she was so much power and she was super dark skin and you know she didn't have straight straightened hair she had a lot of hair but she she just didn't have like 
that pretty little face, you know, that right. was like looks like a little baby. And right. And I just remember people like there was a lot of talk around it because she was so beautiful. She was such an amazing dancer. But they never took her into the company like ever. And I don't know whatever she, happened. She was older so than like was. she was doing work there. I guess so. I guess I'm just asking a simple mm-hmm. question. You can work for a company without being part of the company. Is that what you're suggesting? She was she was like in the second company, or she okay. was like in the, like the training company. Okay. Um, and she was like being passed up to get into the first Main company okay. by people that were younger and not nearly as good as she was. Right. And that was because they had the look. Right. And there's so there's like the white look, right? Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Not even the white look. Like it's a black dance company so they want black people in it and it's not even like this now like the those same like standards or or you know um expectations aren't the same as they like now there are plenty of dark-skinned women in the company right you know they it's just that at that time whoever was making the decisions was choosing kind of this and I don't know, sometimes they'll say, well, it's an aesthetic thing. Like, it's kind of hard in art and in, in, in yeah. dance. Like, you know, when you pick up a variety magazine and it says looking for, you know, a white male to play this part, what, what you know, is it discrimination or is it because they need a white male to play? You know what I mean? Like, right. And, and when can you actually, like, hire someone who, like, what do they call it? Non-traditional casting? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, after a while, I've... Like after, especially after working with alumni theater company, I just couldn't understand why it wasn't done more often. Right. You know, like why in, in on Broadway and why in theater and musical theater, it's not happening more often because that means that all these beautiful kids that we've been training to do these things who can do these parts better than a lot of people. Yeah. Will never get a job doing that part. Right. Because they're written for white folks. Right. Most likely. Yeah. Ugh. So you think about it, and it's like, yeah. And then you think about it again, it's like, ugh. And, it just gets, and every time you think about it, it gets worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, but in dance, it's, yeah, it's like, it's it's all about your physicality and your look. So it's like, it's not always, it's, so it's about what you do and what you can do, uh-huh. but also, mm-hmm. which I think adds a lot of stuff. Right. You know? Although technically, shouldn't dance more easily i know i know it doesn't but more easily get away from seeking a specific race because it's more abstracted and doesn't require dialogue that ideally yes however there's like all these different um aesthetic choices that Mm -hmm. choreographers and directors make right and oftentimes you know at a certain level it does not include black people right dark people period and, you know, I, I always feel like I was, I've been so idealistic about it because, you know, in New York, it tends to, a lot of things, it's like a little, it's so much more liberal. It's more like, mm-hmm. but then you think about it and it's really not, you just like, sure, in a certain space, especially like on the fringe, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's going to be more diverse. It's going to be less talk or thought about those things. And there's, you know, you don't have to worry about those kind of casting issues. But then when you look at like the more traditional spaces, it's all about that. Right. You know, when I first came here and I, you know, the the company that I was, Expressions was definitely more diverse, but also folks didn't take it seriously. Hmm. They they didn't take it seriously before I got here. I could, you know, there were times when there, when city paper would run articles about, dance in Pittsburgh and we were nowhere in it. Mm. And at the time I had a dancer who was writing for the city paper. Like and I said, why are we in it? And then suddenly I was like this angry black woman. Yeah. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like seriously, we should be in this. Like aren't yeah. we a dance company? Like why aren't we in this we perform as much as anybody else in this town. Right. And we just were never and it is like it's it's like getting a brick thrown at your head over and over again. Like when you think that there's some kind of um, equalizer, especially in art, and then you realize, oh, it's not. Yeah. Really? Okay. Art, I I think, mm -hmm. art might be even more, allow that to happen even more because there isn't, there's even less of an incentive to 
change in the absence of an actual value system. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I think a lot of people point into other areas where at least you can say, oh, like this person is doing a certain amount of work that has a certain value. Mm-hmm. And so there, you can't ignore the fact that they should or shouldn't be there. Whereas in art, there really isn't a value system. Like what is good, what is not. Mm-hmm. And it's every, everyone just throws their hand up in the air yeah, when asked true. that question. So you can allow for very liberal white people to be like, oh yeah, we're all equal. But like they're, they're, within the absence of a value system, mm-hmm. they can continue to per, continue a sort of um, selectiveness. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you know, they could say like, maybe, you know, this person's work just isn't good. And what does that mean? Over and and over again. Right. And like, you you don't have a response to that really. That's exactly how it is because, because it doesn't fit what they think is like legitimate. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that has been the story of my life in this town. Like over and over. Right. And and I'd say this town, but maybe it's not, maybe, maybe be in any town. Or most towns. And it's like sitting in the middle of, quite frankly, like that space. And then also having certain people in the African-American community question how black my work. It's just kind of like, you just really, you get to learn yourself really well. And right, you to right. just remember who you are and just be like, screw right. all these assholes. Like yeah. nobody, nobody knows, nobody knows you better than you. Yeah. And if they're just going to stand on the side not ever ask any questions, not ever, fig, you know, try to figure out, not, ever, not ever be curious enough to actually see what's going on. Right. And who cares? Like, I don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. literally just stay over there and say, all, and, and worry and, and do whatever you're going to do. Like keep saying whatever you're going to say. Right. And I'm just not going to let it affect me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not here for that. Yeah, I'm yeah. here to make work and share work and share time and space with, like minds and and folks who aren't like minded, but I'm not gonna beg and I'm not gonna, you know what I mean. I'm not gonna. It's up to you. You get to meet me halfway. Like right, I'm, not, right. I'm open and I'm here. I'm not gonna discriminate. And and the and the thing is, is that I've always, I've always had such an appreciation for, you know, my personal history, my history as a, a history of my people. Um, I'm, I'm Africana studies graduate, you know, and it's like. And I've spent years studying and, and, and being a black person in this country. So, you know, there's, there's like, how, how do you make the, like, if you know me, then you know that. And if you know, if you care to actually see what's happening, then you soon figure that out. But mm-hmm. if you're just going to sit over there and say whatever, then just sit there and do that. Yeah. Cause I used to care. I used to, it used to bother me. I used to, I, I used to like, you know, when people didn't like w- would have certain judgment about my work or about me and, or whatever, and I would it, it bothered me. It, right. I was like, okay, wait, how are they getting this? Right. And then I, you know, do or say what and try to reach out. And, and after a while, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, yeah, they yeah. don't care what I have to say. Yeah. They're just this. This somehow is this somehow is feeding their narrative, and and it's where they want to be. Like this has nothing to do with me really. Right. So, I mean, I think it's similar to the whole Dina Lawson. Oh yeah. But but they're beautiful photos. Like that's what I didn't understand. Like, like what was the real problem? Like what it, so, so if you don't want to like here, here's this woman of color taking photographs of other people of color and, and you don't want to see them because you don't think they're flattering. That's just like really obnoxious. Like not just anyone. That's just like I don't know. I just feel like the whole point is missing. Yeah, completely. And I don't. I I didn't get to go to either talk. Yeah, I don't know. You tell me. Did she, was she? Did she feel like she had to explain like where she was coming from with those particular photos? And how come you can't see the beauty and like the realness of it? You know yeah, I, mean? I don't know. Or, yeah, and then I also heard that they they some people said that they and I don't know that they were contrived that they weren't actually like just people standing there like she actually staged them to be a certain way. Is that true? Yeah, as I understand it, a lot of the people that at least in that show mm-hmm. that she photographed, she kind of got p- 
people that she met in her travels and if she some for some reason was attracted to them or created a relationship with them mm-hmm. she'd invite them over or ask to photograph them in their own homes or their choosing it seemed okay like. so so there was like some sort of consensus as to how what the environment would be and how and how they would be shot right so it wasn't like she staged them to wear low riders and yeah, I mean, it's not... chains. And- yeah, it's not quite clear. I think there's one particular photo that I think a lot of people pointed to, which is mm-hmm. this sort of young black man with this sort of weird face thing that she mm-hmm. asked him to put in his mouth and sort of opened his mouth in a funny way. And then the person next to him had his p- fingers pointing at the camera. But it was clear that Dina had got that contraption to put in that young man's mouth. Oh, wow. But But yeah, I mean... I mean, always collaborations are sort of difficult to right. determine. But and in, in either case, like a lot of them were just I, I thought pretty beautiful photographs of normal people. Right. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was comp- it just I thought it was an interesting situation because I think it showed just the complexity of that issue. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I also thought a lot of the anger was against the space and not necessarily Dina. Okay. You know, okay. like. The Carnegie hasn't been historically known to be a black friendly space. Not at all. You know, yeah. and so to suddenly see these photographs, I think there was love. It's kind of like, and this is what you do. Is right. That what they, right. Okay. Like, 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 so it's sort of like these are the first representations of black people mm-hmm. that the museum decides to show, or at least to the first people who are complaining. And so they've not been to a Teeny Harris exhibit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Even that's weird because that's like in the back. You know, it is in the back. you know, like if they, they should, I think at some point allow those photographs to be placed, you know, center. I remember correctly. They, when they first got them, they hung in more places mm-hmm. in the gallery. Right. In the museum. Um, I guess I only had one other question, mm-hmm. which was, do you have anything moving forward with Pearl Arts? Um, no, we're moving it year by year. We're oh, we're always moving forward. We're, um, so I, I just feel like we we have, we've got a lot of we're growing we're growing out of our space. So there's that. So that's one of the next things in the next over the next couple of years. And then we're you know we're working on our two projects, Sim and Soul, which have been super satisfying. And we've been touring a little bit, and we want to do more of that. And after Simmons Soul, I'm not exactly sure what the project's going to be, but we have, we're just kind of like playing around with some different ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's basically it. Like, you know, I, we're just kind of in this moment right now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And enjoying that. It's, it's, been, it's been a lot. I could say it's been overwhelming, but it's not overwhelming in that terrible way. It's just that it's a lot and we're just like, Kind of jumping in. Yeah, yeah. And just moving forward with everything. Yeah. In the best way we can. Yeah. Well, it was just as long as we're enjoying it, we'll keep going with it. Yeah. So yeah. That. Allow- allowing that energy and momentum to push you forward. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's that's the hardest thing about in the arts is finding yourself stagnant. Yes. You know? That's not like a good at, at least for an artist, from an artist's perspective, not mm-hmm. having shows not having a space to make work or, oh fe- or, or feeling you don't have enough time right? And on top of not having inspiration. So you're, you don't make time for it. Yeah. You know? not, yeah. And then pretty soon before you know it, you, you don't have, you've kind of stopped making. Yeah. That's not a good feeling at all. Yeah. But I, I really feel like as long, like what else is there to do but to make? Yeah. Yeah. You're not always going to make your masterpiece. Like most of what you're going to make is not going to be. So I think people get caught up in that too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you don't have the inspiration. So make something anyway. Yeah. Until you make something that feeds you in a different way. Yeah. I always always tell people don't get worried about your thesis. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully you'll make something better next year or the you year after. Probably or the year will. After. You hope, yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. and probably. So put your best into it. That's right. not to say don't ignore it, but like do your best and learn from it and then make a better piece next year. Make exactly. a be- ne- another piece, better piece a month later. I don't know. Right. You know, I, I get you. Sure. Um, where can people find you? Uh, www.pearlartstudios.com. 
We're in the uh, East End of Pittsburgh, across the street from the East End Co-op, on the corner of Mead and Braddock, mm-hmm. in the Mine specific. Factory, <laughs> in the Mine Factory building. That's where you can find us. And any social media or? Oh yeah, but you know I don't know what they are. <laughs> okay. Top of my head, okay. I know that we have one Instagram that is okay. Pearl Art Studios. We All have right. one that's Stacy underscore. I don't know how it's, it's, it's Stacy Pearl dance project and soy sauce. And after each word, there's an underscore. This is not part of Pearl Arts or it is. It's complicated. It's compl- okay. Okay. <laughs> it is. Okay. So Pearl Arts is our umbrella. And then we have tough sound recording, which is Herman's Herman's uh-huh. recording studio. And then Stacy Pearl dance project and soy sauce, which is the dance company. Okay. And Pearl Arts studios is the space. Okay. And sometimes it's the presenter. Okay. And you got a residency too. And we have a residency, Pearl Diving Movement okay. residency is one of them. But then we also do like, um, what do you call it? Like, ca- not casual, we, like informal residencies. So um, some of our friends who don't have spaces, sometimes we just say, just come on and do your thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's for some kind of exchange. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. So. Yeah, teach classes and stuff too. You do? I know you host classes too. Like I teach classes every once in a while, but yeah, we also have other people teach classes and workshops. Right. So that's it. Cool. Well, thanks for letting me chat with you. Thank you. It was fun. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.